Good morning. It is Wednesday, December 28th. It is seven minutes after nine. This is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. Rob Kendall has the day off and then voice off in the distance is Brian Baker. Sounds like you've got some energy and you're ready to go today, huh? Woohoo! I'm on the radio! Hi, Mom! Oh. <laughs> you know what, Brian? We Good could, morning. We could use some of that energy around here because everybody's walking around like they're really tired. <laughs> and and a few people have said, oh, it feels like Tuesday. And I will argue that Tuesday is the worst day of the week. Because oh, totally. Occasionally you have a Monday off, a three-day weekend, or possibly even a four-day weekend. But uh, Tuesday, you rarely get that off for a long weekend. And the weekend <laughs> is still far off in the distance. And yeah, uh, you know... The holidays are never much fun either to uh, to be working, even if you've got a really great fun job like we do. You know, you still you know, you just rather be at home, you know, doing the holiday thing. Yeah. Well, Kevin had mentioned that uh, he was hanging out with some of his friends last night, and they wanted him to hang out late night. And he said, "I can't. I have to go to work." So, Kevin, my uh-huh. my question for you is: You took uh, about two weeks off in the middle of the summer and went on a European holiday. Was it worth it? Do you regret that decision now? Uh, I think that was 100% worth it. Okay. so I think that's better than just drinking late at night in Indianapolis. (laughs) I would agree. I think you made the right choice. (laughs) Hang on a second here. You went on a European vacation? Yeah, I went to France and Spain back in September. Holy cow! Good mm-hmm. for you know, and and listen, I mean, I, not to pull the curtain back too much here, but uh, for you to be able to uh, take a trip to Europe, uh, you must have been saving your uh, your pennies and dimes because my neighbor is over there right now, and it ain't cheap to travel right now. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, we we tried to keep it a tr- uh, pretty cheap trip, but <laughs> yeah, I saved my money up. Hey, Brian, he makes producer money, so he can yeah, afford true. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I used to make that. I know it ain't that much. <laughs> well, speaking of lots of money, let's talk about Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, please. Yeah, can we? Let's start off that way. Uh, it appears that he might be turning his crypto saga into a blockbuster. Okay, so this is the guy who's being charged with financial fraud and money laundering, and he was released on bail for $250 million after being slapped with those charges. But he has since been visited by Michael Lewis. And who is Michael Lewis, you ask? Well, he's a movie writer. He wrote Moneyball. He also wrote The Big Short, and now he has paid a visit to Sam Bankman-Fried. Okay, so this has been going on for about six months now, long before the financial irregularities were spotted. So Uh he's been working on writing his movie story for a while, and now, of course, with him being arrested, he's got the climactic end to the story. I'm most fearful if they decide to make this into a movie and they get into the polyamorous relationship between him and his ex-girlfriend <laughs> because that has that has the big ick factor. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, as I looked at this story, Casey, I thought to myself, okay, this is something where Michael Lewis, I have a great deal of respect for him. He's written a lot of books, particularly around uh, the financial sector. Not a lot of them uh, really, you know, get the traction that like the big short did. Mm-hmm. But I suspect, I mean, he, he's not a dummy. He's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. And he surrounds himself with smart people. And I suspect that he probably got word that there was something that was not uh, you know, completely uh, in in line. That so there was some kind of funny business happening, and he probably began pursuing this, knowing or at least having a, a suspicion that things were not going to end well for this guy. But here's the thing: I mean, when you know, I, I get the idea of okay, if we're going to make a a movie, there's this idea that uh, all right, we're, we're profiting on a lot of people's misery here. But on the other hand. Movies change culture. Sometimes they raise awareness, and mm-hmm. maybe this will be a way to, I don't know, uh, enlighten mm-hmm. uh, Americans and uh, certainly young investors, and they'll know kind of some of the uh, the, the red flags to watch for as they uh, invest their own retirement dollars and savings going mm-hmm. forward. Well, isn't that what we do in this country? Build people up, smash them down just to build them back up again? And my question is, how long before he's going to be a billionaire again? Or in jail which one will happen first yeah well uh maybe they'll i don't know maybe it'll be nicely coordinated i'm sure that it will happen i have no doubt that this man will once again become wealthy because that's what happens with these sorts of dirt bags that compromise their integrity they always find the next thing mm-hmm. look at the guy who was the wolf of wall street what was it jordan belford mm-hmm. that guy is living in a beautiful estate in Orange County, California. I don't believe he's paid back hardly anyone what he was ordered to pay back by a judge. He's got this business where he teaches people how to uh, how to sell. He's got a whole selling system and gets paid large amounts of dollars to go to different organizations and teach people how to do what it is that he did. But he says it's quote unquote, uh, you know, a moral way of selling. But you can look in this guy's eyes and know he's still a dirtbag and he really doesn't feel all that bad about what he did to people destroying their lives. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I have no doubt that this gentleman will follow in those same uh, those footsteps in the tradition of dirtbags that ruin lives, go to jail and then get on out and make themselves another billion. Protected by the Democrats the entire way. His parents, by the way, Sam Bankman, Freed's parents, they're both law professors at Stanford University. And Uh uh, apparently they've been hosting parties, gatherings. Obviously, it's the holidays. But if you're 30-year-old son goes from being a billionaire to facing 115 years in prison. Wouldn't you dial down the celebrations just a little bit? I mean, they're having parties. There's no shame there at all. And they've upped security. They're paying for private armed guards. They have cameras being installed. And as of just yesterday, he hasn't entered a plea. And he's due back in New York next week. And I guess he's he's expected to fly back private, by the way, accompanied by a security detail. And uh, maybe we'll see what happens with this guy when the movie comes out. It is 13 minutes after nine. This is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. And that is Brian Baker joining us today. So military police, most likely the National Guard, they are in Buffalo preventing people from driving on the snow covered roads. So we all know about the storm that rolled in and it really did hit Buffalo. 
Buffalo very hard. Reportedly, 35 citizens have died from the storm, surpassing the marker that was set by that blizzard in 1977 that everybody likes to compare things to. Some of these motorists were stuck in their vehicles. And uh, so... Now people are looting, they're scrambling for food, and uh, there's just a lot of unrest right now that is happening in Buffalo. Yeah, and here's my thought on this, Casey. Um, and, I, and I will tell you, you know, right here at the beginning, that a great deal of my knowledge about the world has been acquired through Burt Reynolds' movies. Uh, and there's this movie called Best Friends. That's mm-hmm. uh, a large portion of it takes place in Buffalo, and they have a big discussion because they're they're in Buffalo during the winter, and you know, it's just this massive cold and huge snowbanks, and it's just miserable. So Buffalo is not one of those places where it's a surprise if it's snows or it gets really horrifically right. cold. Right. They suffer this kind of of, of, of weather all the time. Mm-hmm. So it, I kind of feel to an extent like I do about folks in California that don't prep for earthquakes and don't have uh, supplies on hand. You know, if you're in Florida and you get hit with a blizzard, that's sort of one thing. But Buffalo, you sort of had, you know, just be prepared in advance. Don't wait to do your shopping and get filled up with gas and grab milk and eggs until the very last minute. Have some canned goods on on hand if you can, please. And I know we all get a little bit of cabin fever here, but if it's a choice between cabin fever and probably having a, an argument with your spouse or going out and dying, I think you should probably go with the former. That's mm-hmm. just me. On the other hand, I know some people have got some very miserable marriages and perhaps death is the, the preferable option. <laughs> yeah, well, when you live there, you know you're going to have that lake effect snow that comes across yeah. Lake Erie and just dumps. And boy, they are really still trying to dig out from the storm. And they've been warned that both military and state police are going to be stationed throughout the, you know, the second largest city in the state of New York, and they're enforcing a driving ban that has been in place since Friday. The Buffalo Bills had to fly into Rochester because the Buffalo airport was closed. And here the police commissioner elaborates about this. I have been advised that 100 military police are being brought in, as well as additional troops from the New York State Police uh, uh, Department are coming in to manage traffic control because it has become so evident that too many people are ignoring the ban. Uh, I've been told they will all arrive later today and they will start being situated at entrances to the city of Buffalo as well as major intersections, not allowing people to get through. Don't tell Americans you can't do something because guess what's going to happen? <laughs> they're going to do it. A... They're going to do it anyway. And and if you tell them not to, they're going to do it with an attitude then. <laughs> yeah, there is a rebellious nature uh, that kind of runs through a, a lot of us, isn't there? Did you break any of the uh, quarantine rules, or not the quarantine rules, but the lockdown rules uh, during the, the COVID-19 uh, sh- shenanigans? I didn't break any rules. Uh, I was partially locked down and partially not. I For the first year of the quarantine, I was in Florida where it wasn't locked down. The second year, I was in Michigan where you were being, you know, threats of being arrested and all of that. Uh-huh. So I, I went from one extreme <laughs> to the other. But the time that I was in Michigan, it was uh, very, very bitterly cold like it always is in Michigan, well, we- except for two months out of the year. 
Well, we had the nationwide lockdowns because of the riots that were taking place during the old summer of love. Mm-hmm. I was traveling northbound, um, and I was trying to get to Indianapolis in time before we were supposed to be off of the roads. But there, there hit a point where I was in the Louisville area and coming up through Indiana, and I was probably one. I, I'll bet for two hours I saw nothing but the occasional semi truck, and it was the most eerie, mm-hmm. and frightening experience. Not only because it's just you're not used to that. You're used to seeing lots of people out. So you're, you know, you're on these major highways essentially by yourself. But, um, uh, you know, it, it also kind of frightened me to a certain extent to realize the government, you know, if they, they do tell people to do something. Yeah, there's that rebellious nature. But folks, for the most part, if they're really scared, they will listen. And doesn't that give you a sense of fear about, well, if you have corrupt people in government, what they might be capable of doing. Mm, Yeah. Uh, That is Brian Baker, and this is the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Good morning. 23 minutes after 9, it is the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC, and that is Brian Baker joining us. Rob Kendall has the day off. And Brian, let's talk about this new Fox News poll that found 58% of registered voters are not glad to see Donald Trump running again for president. And you share that sentiment, don't you? Well, I do. I I saw that that was a Fox News poll, too, so it Mm -hmm. does show how we are so split in the Republican Party. Look, I like to win. If I thought Donald Trump could win and could be effective in a second term, then I would, you know, seriously consider getting behind him. But I just, I think the ship has sailed. I think the legacy has been tainted at this point in time, and there are just too many people who went out on election day the last time and voted against Donald Trump for a guy who really sucks. And I think people were conscious of the fact that he sucked, but they were just kind of tired of the personality of Donald Trump. So if I thought Donald Trump had matured to the point where he would be able to bring a a, a different essence and a bis- different style of leadership into the White House, mm-hmm. I might get behind him. But I just don't see that. And so from my perspective, now I, I have a lot of anger and resentment towards Donald Trump because of how he has split the Republican Party. And I wish that the man would put the country first instead of his own ego and mm. that he would get behind a candidate who really does have a viable shot of winning this next election. And from my perspective, that's Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Other candidates may come into the pool, but Ron DeSantis seems like Trump policies without the liabilities, and that's something I can get behind. Yeah, Trump without the drama, right? And wouldn't it yeah. be really great for the Republican Party if Trump came out and said, you know what? No, I'm out, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to back this guy or this person or this woman instead, and uh, most likely DeSantis, but he's he's just not doing that. This same poll showed that 64% of voters don't want Joe Biden to run again either. And we just... And I, I said it the other day, I was talking to Hammer and Nigel, and we were talking about, I don't know, another poll that brought up Biden. And then, of course, they mentioned Trump. And it's like, why are these two just... They're so married together with everything. Every news story, every poll that comes out is, well, Biden's polling here, and then there's Trump right here. Can I, I just feel like so many people are ready to move on from both of them. 
They are. And, and again, this goes to something that we discussed on yesterday's program about how CNN is in the midst of rebranding and trying to just be a serious news organization. Mm-hmm. I, I get the sense, I don't know for sure, but I get the sense that maybe the country might kind of come back and the pendulum might swing a little bit closer to the center because we've gone to such extremes yeah. here over the last 10 years, really over the last 15 years. And so, you know, the harder one side pushes to get their agenda through without making any compromises and jams it down the other side's throat, there's always a reckoning. There's always a price that has to be paid for that on the other side. With Donald Trump, the price to be paid was that we got Joe Biden in office. And look at how we're suffering under that. And I don't believe... Take a look at the pushback from folks that are traditionally aligned with the left. Now, Bill Maher is no great friend to conservatives, but I see more people like Bill Maher and other folks going that are to in the Hollywood. Middle. Yeah, going mm-hmm. to the middle. And so that to me is encouraging, Casey, because if you think about it, we're all the reasonable people that get out there and vote. We all kind of have the same goals and the desires for, for our future and for our, our kids' future. It's just that we have different strategies on how to get there. So maybe, you know, the country will come together and we'll be a little bit more centrist and we'll be able to get some things done and turn the ship around. Mm-hmm. I have no problem seeing Trump like as an elder statesman, someone to dole out advice and give his opinions on things. But I, I, I'm i with you. You mentioned it yesterday that you don't think that he's actually doing this to run. You that No, I, I, I well, it's, it's not so much that. I, I mean, just, he I says don't believe... he's running, but yeah, I think he's. It's it's a lot of posturing right now. I don't know that he will actually go through with it. I'm not sure exactly what the uh, what the escape route is going to be and 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 how he'll justify it. But you're right. And you know what? Here's the thing. Donald Trump is capable of it. He's capable of beating that that elder statesman and displaying maturity, even if he has to fake it. The man, I've I saw him do it as president before things really got chaotic. He's capable of being that kind of leader. He's just got to figure out a way to get past his own ego and start to really focus on, okay, do I want to do this? What is my legacy? Do I want to do this for the American people? Do I really care about the future of the country? And I think the answer is probably yes. It's just a matter of what's more important to him. Yeah, you have to rein in the crazy at some point. And I know we do have to get to the news. Uh, Kurt's sitting by, ready to go. But I wanted to mention one other thing that came from this article that was written on Mediaite is that uh, they said that New New Hampshire Governor Chris Nunu is considering running for president. He said, we're talking Talking about it, I get it. We're having conversations right now. His focus is on New Hampshire, but he's not saying no either. It is 28 minutes after nine. This is the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Another day of cancellations. Good morning. It is 934. This is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. Brian Baker is joining today because Rob has the day off. So let's talk about this, Brian. Southwest Airlines responsible for the bulk of flight cancellations and delays again yesterday. They've been having a lot of problems. Uh, They accounted for almost 2,500 worth of the cancellations. There was nearly 3,000 over the past couple days. 65% of the flights that were canceled were from Southwest. Thousands, thousands canceled. 
Yeah, extraordinary. So why is that? I mean, why was was Southwest uh, responsible for so many? Obviously, the other airlines had some delays, but not to this extent. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, their hubs are in Chicago and Denver, and Uh, two cities that got hit by the major storm affected by all of that weather. But it also comes down to understaffing and overbooking. They said that they were staffed and prepared for the holiday weekend, but then the severe weather disrupted all of their plans and (laughs) the operational conditions forced changes. And also they were having technical software problems. So Uh they're, they're blaming it on staffing technology and the weather. You know, when I hear uh, technical software glitches in relation to flying through the air at high rates of speed, that really gives me a warm feeling about flying Southwest. I hate this for them, too, because, listen, uh, Peachtree City was basically built by Delta. And so uh, probably half the residents of Peachtree City, they work for Delta, either that or they work for Chick-fil-A. And I like that company's culture, but I have always flown Southwest because I found them to be efficient. I found Mm -hmm. them to be affordable. And I found the people that work for them to be very pleasant to interact and deal with. So to see these uh, these massive delays and know that it's primarily related to the fact that their hubs are in an area where they're getting hit by very heavy storms, you would think that they would have had a plan in place that they would have been able to deal with this. Yeah, they knew the storm was coming. Uh, Delta Airlines, by the way, you mentioned Delta. They're the second largest based airline with the most cancellations. So your your hometown airline didn't exactly pass with flying colors either. Advice advice to anyone who is about to fly. Read the terms and services of your agreement that comes with every single you ticket ticket you buy because the airlines are very protected and a lot of people are very angry. I mean it ruined plans for a lot of people, but it's it feels like it's gambling at this point if you're about to fly if you're going to go on vacation or you're going to plan a long weekend you almost have to include a couple buffer days in case there is a cancellation and now a lot of people especially on the west coast who are trying to get back east are saying you know they've been on their second or third day of being rebooked and they would do a rental car but now even the rental cars are running low so they're just stuck at the airport going back day after day to see how the airline is going to take care of them and tough guy Pete Buttigieg he spoke with the CEO of Southwest Airlines and he conveyed his expectations well, meltdown oh. is the right word. This is an unacceptable situation. You look at the number of passengers who are stranded. Uh, you look at how hard it is even to get somebody on the phone to address it. Uh, from what I can tell, Southwest is unable to locate even where their own crews are, let alone their own passengers, let alone baggage. Uh, so uh, I conveyed to the CEO our expectation that they are going to go above and beyond to take care of passengers and to address this. Uh, they indicated a number of issues that they're having with uh, systems, uh, legacy systems for managing uh, their, their schedule and where their crews are. 
Okay, so he said... shut up. Shut up. You suck at your job. You are terrible. And who are you to call up this airline? Oh, yeah, listen, we got a call from Pete Buttigieg. Well, now, listen, we're going to get our act together here. You think they don't want to fly? You think they want to be losing money? You think they want to have customers who are so infuriated they're never going to fly Southwest again? You are such... You know, like every moron that rises to the the cream, to, to to the top in government, he's one of those jerks that gets out there and talks a big game, takes all these victories laps and does nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears, doesn't he? He said yes. he's conveying his expectations or what? What is going to happen? I, I have a theory. I think that Pete Buttigieg is trying to quiet quit from the Biden administration because he's never around when there's a problem. I mean, the guy took an extended maternity leave. He was yeah. in Portugal when the rail strike was happening. And, uh, you know, Every time there's a transportation emergency, it interrupts his vacation time. And I think that this guy wants to be president and he just he can't handle the crisis that's put on his plate. He disappears and then he comes out and he says, I'm telling the CEO of Southwest our expectations. But it doesn't do anything. Great. No. Tell 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 the airlines to fix the problem or what's going to happen. What are you going to do? Absolutely nothing. And speaking yeah. of people wanting to be president, this was an uh-huh. interesting article in uh, USA Today, of all places. And it said, what Americans want in an ideal president? And they asked a lot of different questions, Brian. I thought this was really interesting. How old should the president be? And according to this survey, the sweet spot is between 51 and 65 years old. 50% of the people said, yep, that's where we want. So uh, a silver fox is what the American people are looking for. Someone between 51 and 65 years old. Well, that puts Trump and Biden out of the running because they're both above that number. Yeah. Well, here's what I would like uh, in a president, uh, Casey. I would like someone of high integrity who is competent and who uh, it believes in the in what our founders believed in and will support and fight for those measures, but has an understanding of how to interact with folks who maybe have different views and how to uh, negotiate in kind without getting everyone uh, uh, split and completely uh, at odds to where we're just in gridlock and nothing gets done. It, this, to me, is... I mean, sometimes I think these polls, I think they're just looking to fill up space, right? But I look at these polls, and and then there's folks who, with a straight face, answer these questions. I don't care what someone's age is. I don't care what their gender is. You know, I want to know, okay, are they a competent individual who is capable of leading? Because that's kind of an important job. And we (laughs) seem to keep putting jackasses in there. Uh, You mentioned you don't care what the gender is. They did ask which gender is preferred and 55% of the people said that gender doesn't matter but then when they were asked about it just a little bit more overall they did express a preference of a man over a woman at 20, uh-huh. 28% I believe it is um, so what about the hometown effect does it matter where someone comes from and Yeah, kind of, especially for Midwesterners. Midwesterners said, yeah, they want somebody who's from the heartland of the country. And I think that probably has to do with the polarization of the East Coast and the West Coast, right? Us uh, people here in the flyover states, the salt of the earth. And that's what, according to this article, people are looking for.
Well, you know, one of the problems that we have too, Casey, is that very often there are competent people of high integrity who will run for public office, but they lack charisma. You know, Dr. Ben Carson, I thought, would have been a really smart and effective president. A brilliant man, but he just didn't have the charisma to pull it off, especially when you put that man next to Donald Trump, who is all charisma, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and the uh, same thing with um, with Mike Pence. I mean, I know uh, that, that Mike Pence doesn't get a lot of love on, on this show, particularly from Rob. But I look at that man and, and you know, I don't know him well. I don't know a, a great deal about uh, his uh, his track record prior to uh, becoming president because I was in California or excuse me, vice president. I was in California. But there again, a man who is high level of integrity, mature, knows how to talk to people on both sides. He's got a lot of strength. And yet at the same time, I don't think he has the charisma to pull off actually getting elected president. Mm-hmm. Which party matters? Well, obviously, I mean, this isn't a surprise. You would expect Democrat voters to want a Democrat president, 71%. Yes, that's what they said. And uh, Republicans, 74% of Republicans want a Republican president. Not a surprise there. Uh, The interesting part about this was they said younger voters were the group that were least tethered to a party. And we're talking about 18 to 35-year-olds. And Mm -hmm. the plurality said that the ideal president would be independent. So that that Gen Z, the younger millennials 41% of them said that they would they would go with an independent it didn't matter which party they were representing but of course the one thing and you mentioned it Brian that everybody agreed on double digits Americans want a president who uh, won't who will compromise to get things done rather than stand on principle they want that sort of leadership style somebody who will bring people together and give and take just a little here in there but let's get the job done rather than excluding a huge swath of people yeah although even that is a little bit broad i mean you want the the individual to be able to compromise where it counts and where it's not going to uh, have a a dramatically negative impact on the the future of the country Mm -hmm. there's a lot of compromise that takes place in congress and the senate that winds up just devastating us and you know I, i would like to see somebody who stands on principle when it really counts and understands okay if this is the goal up here and i'm facing this roadblock how do i manage to get to that to, to that goal still and uh, you know you, I think you need somebody who's very strategic a strategic thinker someone that understands people and how to uh, how to deal with them but can still keep their eye on the prize and figure out alternative ways to get there mm-hmm. you're listening to the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC that is Brian Baker filling in for Rob Kendall today and we're off to see the wizard next on 93 <laughs> WIBC <laughs> Good morning, it is 949. It is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. Brian Baker joining us. Attention, my pretties. So it appears that the Wicked Witch of the West's iconic hourglass has found a new home. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is the hourglass that uh, the, the monkeys and Dorothy looks into it at one point and she sees the scarecrow and the tin man and the cowardly lion and they're all running out of time to save her from the Wicked Witch. Well, this prop has been sold and you're never going to believe for how much. 
$495,000 somebody oh, paid for this. It was listed cow. yeah, it was listed on Heritage Auctions and uh somebody somebody is willing to drop down nearly half a million dollars <laughs> for a piece of movie history. I don't I don't get it at all, Brian. And you're you're the movie guy. You're the stunt man who's in all the movies. You've got the Hollywood connections. Please explain this to me. Why would someone pay <laughs> half a million dollars for one of 17, by the way? There were many of these right. that were created. The one mm-hmm. that sold is just one that happened to be in an iconic scene in the movie. And is that it? Did I answer my own question because it's in a iconic scene in the movie? Yeah, you know, I think there's a, a lot of bragging rights that goes on with some of this stuff. But the thing is, is that um, movie prop collecting, it's actually become a very big business. When I was beginning uh, collecting movie props, it wasn't really like this. People were into autographs, but you were able to find cars that were used in movies fairly cheap. You mm-hmm. were able to find uh, uh, props. And yeah, there's there's duplicates of everything, right? Wardrobe, there's usually at least you know three to four duplicates on wardrobe, and then there's one for the stunt people. Same thing with these props. And so the big money, like you want the ones that have actually been, uh, there's some distinguishing marking on them. They were able to be identified on screen because that is really the big movie uh, or the the big uh, bragging rights there. But I collect stuff, Casey, but I don't spend $500,000 for something that was in a movie. You know, I I collect cheap crap. Like I've got a a floor (laughs) tile from the the Blues Brothers Mall uh, that was up in uh, Harvey, Illinois, the, the Dixie Square Mall. I've got plates from this great movie with uh, Chevy Chase and and, uh, Goldie Hawn called Seems Like Old Times. Mm -hmm. I've got the license plates for those cars. I've got a bird from Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Okay. you would think would be worth a ton of money, and yet I got it from for free from some freak who had <laughs> thousands of them, and he had them perched around his house. I don't know why. He just had these black birds all kind of perched around on these these little wires, and so I don't know. I mean, it, I, there's a part of me that really gets it, um, but then also it, it, these things only have value, and they're only really special looking backwards because mm-hmm. I'm on. I'm, I've been able to work on some fairly iconic films, but it's just not as exciting when you're actually in the mix of it. You know, who cares about collecting props or wardrobes? It's only when you're able to look back 10, 20 years and go, oh, well, this is kind of cool. But yeah, just because somebody uh, wore it or touched it, does it have any special value that Mm -hmm. uh, would warrant 500 grand? Probably not. And by the way, I have actually seen a piece of the yellow brick road because I was in the sound stage well, in you Century can see, City. You can see Dorothy's red ruby shoes. They're in the Smithsonian. Yes. Doesn't mean yes, you have to pay uh, $500,000 to see them. No, no. But but don't you think it, it's rather interesting that, I mean, what is that? That movie is almost, I don't know, I mean, just under 100 years old, right? I, yeah, I was going to say, it's almost 100 years old. In the 1930s, didn't it come out in the 30s? I'm yeah, sure like there's a, I think. I'm, I'm sure there's a super fan listening, yelling at the radio right now. But I just, I know that there's a lot of these, uh, you know, baseball cards and magazines that are getting graded. They, they've been doing that for a while, and people are investing in those, hoping 
to one day turn around and sell them for loads and loads of money, which some are successful, some aren't, depending on the grade and depending on the market. It's just like the stock market. Things go up and down and are cyclical. But I feel like after over time, are these movie props going to gain value or are they going to lose value? Because the older the movie gets, the less relatable it is to an up and comer, someone who's younger who didn't grow up with the movie it it comes on you know maybe once a year or they've they've got it I, I don't know you can stream it or whatever it's it's just is it still an iconic piece and to spend half a million dollars on it I just I I don't get it Brian you can explain it away all you want and I'm still gonna think that you're absolutely loony for I mean if you've got that kind of cash five hundred thousand dollars isn't there something better to invest your money in or at that point do you not care you have so much money you'll spend it on whatever the heck you want yeah, I don't get the feeling that whoever bought this is clipping coupons every day. You know, I, I suspect they have quite a bit of money, and this is just no big deal. And I'm sure there is a, I mean, something like this, I go, okay, well, that actually probably has some investment value. But things fluctuate based on whether a celebrity has died or not. I mean, when Burt Reynolds passed away, there were tons of props and clothing mm-hmm. and wardrobe, all kinds of stuff that went for just astronomical sums. And now you can pick it up for you know, very little money. So mm-hmm. you're right. There is this thing where you better... You better time it right. You better uh, acquire and sell it at the right time, unless it's something you want to be a family heirloom, because mm-hmm. these do have a lifespan, and they do start to trend downward eventually. Well, this hourglass that sold from The Wizard of Oz, it was in the scene where the witch holds it up above her head in an act of defiance against Dorothy and her friends. They try to escape. And according to Heritage Auctions, the auction house that handled the sale, and I don't know if the yeah. 495000 included the juice to the seller or not, uh, but it, it's... It's handcrafted. It includes winged gargoyles perched on top of spiraled columns. So they're trying to make it sound like it's this wonderful craftsmanship when, in fact, it's a movie prop and it was one of 17. So Yeah, and that doesn't include buyer's premium, 500 grand plus <laughs> buyer premium. Right. It is the Kendall and Casey Show. It's 93 WIBC. Good morning. Because, 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 because